0: Hi, this is Seth, and you're about to hear a 15-minute preview of The After Show for Episode 119 on Nietzsche's Birth of Tragedy, where your host Danny Lobel and I were joined by special guest Professor Greg Sadler, as well as David Buchanan, Eric Weisengruber, Tom Curtis, Ken Presting, and Bill from Seattle. You can watch the whole thing on our YouTube channel, which is linked from PartiallyExaminedLife.com, and PEL Citizens can download a slightly edited version by logging in to PartiallyExaminedLife.com and going to the Ad-Free Episodes page. It was a wide-ranging and interesting discussion where we covered theater, the arts, the sharing economy, slavery... And this uh, section you're about to hear is where we kind of got more into the Dionysian. And David shared his experience of Dionysian connection to other people while listening to live music. It's a lot of fun. So enjoy.
1: The festival of Dionysus was a popular festival throughout the Greek world. But in Athens, it's officially recognized by the populist tyrant, Pisistratus, like the guy who says hey, we're all doing this Dionysus stuff, let's make it part of our life in this city. It's a public festival in which everyone will participate. It's a popular God that touches all sorts of people, not high priests uh, or people of great prestige. You know, it's that populist tyrant that, you know, officially says, let's make this part of our city. Let's have a big festival for our artists. Let's put on plays. Let's turn the Homeric poems into written texts. It's not the world of the Spartans or, you know, the oligarchs that other philosophers handled. And I think in later years, is that possible in Germany? Is he talking about some sort of, you know, spiritual renewal among the Germans? That's what Wagner talked about. Art could do that for Germany. It could be an alive, you know, united people from the the bottom to the top. Yeah, he's seen, I mean, in the birth of tragedy at least, it's German
2: philosophy is doing that with Kant and Schopenhauer. And German music is doing that with Wagner as just the last guy with Beethoven before him and Bach. He's really optimistic about the capacity for some sort of German renewal of that. Yeah. And then later on, that's where his greatest criticism of his own project lies. Yeah,
1: later he begins. Yeah, I was totally
2: wrong about that stuff, you know?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I actually experienced this sort of thing, you know, like, a I don't know, a, lives next door to the Dionysian unification that must have been experienced back in ancient Greece as the audience sort of became one with the chorus. I go to these little dive bars in, in Denver, <laughs> places that can't hold more than 100 people or so, and you know you just buy your ticket and you go in there and everybody's a stranger, but after an hour or two, everybody's into the same music, everybody's had a couple of drinks, and now it's not just a ticketed venue, it's a party and you're all there together, and you're all swaying together, and you sort of forget yourself. I know it's kind of a cheap imitation of what must have occurred in the ancient Greek rituals, but it's my church. Little dive bars with live bands is really, oh man, it's some of the most gratifying experience I've ever had. This is something I've been thinking about
2: a bit, because I'm really into classic heavy metal, and you know, we go to shows, and now you know I'm in my 40s, uh, so it's a little bit different. You know, there's not an awful lot of moshing or, or stuff like that, and there's a huge difference, like like David is talking about, between being in a small club where there's a, a really great band on stage, like you know, you know, we, we saw Raven and Accept recently at the Gramercy in New York, and we probably oh were God. maybe yeah, there were probably maybe 200, 300 people there. And everybody was into it. Even an old guy who had to be in his 80s who was headbanging there. And the whole feeling of the crowd is just something like solidarity. That's different than going to a huge arena, which is still pretty fun, you know? Mm -hmm. And being, you know, 50 rows back from the band and seeing them come up. There's still a sort of communal experience there, but it's nothing like the communal experience with being in a smaller venue. That really is something like the Dionysian. There's a
3: pragmatist... um Douglas Anderson, Oh sure yeah. I don't this guy's Philosophy Americana. He writes about one of the local bars out in Golden Colorado. He calls it the Church of Listening, you know, and I've been to this place. I've seen a band in this place. He's got Graham Parsons in here, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, Jack Kerouac. It's fantastic. And he shows like this folksy down home American mysticism. Mysticism on the road is one of the... You know, what, if you think about this in terms of
2: like musical genres, we would have a problem in our own time, perhaps, unless you were just like a I-love-music-all-across-the-board kind of person, because you're going to get some people who could do this Dionysian thing in a small place, and they're listening to folk music, but those aren't going to be the same people that are listening to classic metal, and they're not going to be the same people who are, you know, getting all Dionysian in some techno club, right? They're not all sharing the same thing. Whereas the ancient Athenians, they're all there listening to the same stuff, participating in the same festival of Dionysus. You know, I'm not sure exactly what I want to say about this other than... It's been
3: fragmented, like demographic camps, you know. I went to a Wilco concert at Red Rocks. Every person there looked like a friend of mine. It is the most demographically narrow situation I've ever been in. It's unbelievable. I could have borrowed clothes from anybody in that crowd. When I was in college, we watched the Talking Head movie uh, "Stop Making Sense" in a philosophy class on on Nietzsche. There was the the idea that that particular concert film there was some sort of like synthesis or with the will, and they were talking about various Nietzschean concepts. But a more interesting question to me is what. In popular modern culture, what is it that epitomizes this kind of Dionysian view? I mean, it seems like every movie is got a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, occasionally you'll see people like Lynch or somebody, they try to present something that doesn't have a linear story, and it's definitely the fringe as far as popular culture. But I guess, what would be an example of Dionysian tragedy in today's movie venue?
4: Well, you can't forget football. That's an interesting idea. You can't even walk around. And, of course, sitting here in the USA, when I say football, I mean the pointy ball that's round, that's long and brown. When they say football, they mean a spotted round ball. And you can actually get killed if you're in, in the wrong uh, you know, emotional state with respect to the wrong color you know, when these games are being played. And that's the same sort of thing that could happen to you with the man ads.
3: Yeah, there's a football player from Michigan who was ripped apart by... A bunch of Ohio State cheerleaders. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I
3: never heard that. I, I don't even believe that. What a great way it's to go. It like <laughs> an awesome way to go.
4: <laughs> yeah, but the uh, um, you know there's a cities that had to have sports games played with empty stadiums because there was violence, you know, in the stands. This is a, a complete loss of rational control, and well, not just rational control, but safety. Yeah, There's no yeah. civil left in the face of these sports-induced you know, psychos.
0: So as somebody who's subject to sports-induced psychosis, and, <laughs> let me say this. There's a sense in which the phenomenon of coming together at a ritual, let's call it a sporting event, and losing yourself in the collective but also simultaneously being entranced or somehow drawn in by the ritual that's being performed, in that sense, the analogy you're making is, I think, safe. When you're talking about them performing in empty stadiums and things like that, and the cheerleaders tearing apart a football player, or what's more common, racism, the collective will is being co-opted to direct against an other. There's a perception that the identity of the crowd is homogenous in the same way that David was describing, and that the people are self-identifying with the team as opposed to losing their identity in the ritual. And a true mark of the success of sports as a Dionysian ritual is the sense in which you can pan through the crowd at a football game and see black and white and Hispanic guys who don't know each other hugging each other after a touchdown. And to the extent that they attack people who are wearing different colored jerseys, I think it's a failure in that respect.
2: You would want to be something that's not purely Dionysian, though. That is also Apollonian.
0: Uh, Totally. Totally.
2: and that's, and that's where we have like the elements of narrative. You know, we have the, the commentators who are saying, yeah, this guy out there, you know, look at him. He's got this backstory. His kid is sick right now. <laughs> these, these sorts of things. And then, you know, it would be the Socratic and that would be the money ball phenomenon. The people who are always crunching stats and they're going to predict, you know, exactly what the best outcome ought to be on some sort of managerial basis. That's and, awesome. Yeah, that's I have great. To too, by the way, I know that some of you, you know, partially examined life guys are based in, in Wisconsin. That's where I'm from originally. So I'm a Packers fan, and I think that when it comes to ethos, not every team is comparable to every other team in terms of like the ethos that can bind people together. And Lambeau Field may be a particularly good example for this kind of cohesiveness.
1: By the way, Seth, are you based in
2: Wisconsin?
0: Me? No. Austin, Texas. But I went to high school in Maryland, so my sports affiliations are with teams in the Baltimore-Washington corridor. So I'm an Orioles fan, and against both my moral compass and my better judgment, I'm a Redskins fan. And I have tried to divorce those fuckers, and I just can't make it happen.
2: (laughs)
4: They'll
0: change their name soon.
4: But they can't trademark it. It has less, much less value.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see about that.
2: You know, that does raise a good question, though. Could we have something like what Nietzsche is talking about? You know, this coming together, the synthesis of the Apollonian and Dionysian, and something like tragedy for a polyglot culture like our own, or is it only possible for ancient Athens or Germany if they want to overlook everybody else who's living in Germany? I don't know that this could be translated onto the American scene without some weird American fascism.
0: I think you're absolutely right, and in the same sense where Nietzsche makes a good point when he's talking about the Socratic, there's this optimistic denial of the necessity of the slave class to bring the discussion back. Slavery is necessary for the birth of civilization as we understand it, and then we're living in denial of that fact for 2,500 years afterwards, and... There's a sense in which a lot of the things that were perceived as virtues in societies that he's lionizing and in the Greek culture, whatever, rely on a certain amount of homogeneity or at least an identification with a certain kind of Greekness, which is different from other. And the real question becomes, and I think you're putting it right there, is if you take America as an example of the melting pot, I think that's our national myth. I don't think it's reality but I think there are probably other countries that have much better versions of multiculturalism or that sort of thing. But can you achieve transcendence of the self in the sense that Nietzsche means, which is a loss in the collective that somehow brings people together in a society that's truly heterogeneous? And I think the answer is yes, and I think we go back to David where we say it's not about rituals that reinforce distinctions and otherness, but about those that are inclusive, and I think it's music. And so I think Nietzsche is onto something when he talks about the role that music can play in dissolving the bounds of identity. And so if I want that mystical transcendent experience, I'm not going to church and I'm not going to a UT football game.
2: Dive bars.
0: I'm going to see Nathan Hamilton at the Saxon Pub. Exactly.
1: (laughs) David, you figured out Nietzsche on your own. I think it must be
3: an effect of just the sheer scale of things now. How can you have a unified community of 7 billion? That's just not going to happen. There's hundreds of countries and hundreds of languages and, you know, variations within that too. You got to find your own tribe and find your connection there. You know, not every genre is for everybody. You know, you got to pick your Yes, the Greeks had a pantheon. Whatever your problem was, whatever your personality was, you know there was, a, there was probably a god for you. Mm-hmm. I think it's got to be like that.
1: Because we've seen in our century the attempt to build colossal public rituals. They can be pretty questionable. I mean, think of the grand spectacles. I can't believe I'm going to Hitler. But anyway, the big grand spectacles <laughs> of Hitler. Leni Riefenstahl, the triumph of the will and all that huge public spectacles and certainly there's the aesthetic impulse in one of the contradictory aesthetic impulses in the 20th century is to try to you know create these you know huge mass spectacles of a sort of revived religion or a new mythology and a lot of people who look at that and say this is a mockish and totalitarian imitation of an ancient world that we shouldn't be yearning for the idea for something that could a public ritual that could bind all people together Woodstock is nice. You stay away from the brown acid. But um, you know, Nuremberg isn't. It, it seems like the,
3: you know, the broader and more inclusive you get, the thinner the commonality will be. You have to you know exclude more and more as you. As far as you know, ideas you're all connecting on. You know, American secularism, right? We all agree: life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. But then you have all these sectarian parties and religions and regions and demographics. You know, profiles. There's a lot of divisions, but there's sort of a thin criteria that we're supposed to all agree on. That's how it is. How thin does it get when you spread it out over seven billion?
4: This is a really important idea. I want to disagree. But I think it's like so helpful to the discussion to have brought this up. I think you're slipping into the Apollonian perception of what makes an individual when you say that we have all these differences between us. And if you're going to find something consistent, like in our opinions or in our concepts or in our attitudes or in our goals, then it's not going to have an emotional significance. It's really helpful to have brought out this issue. And one of the important reasons for contrasting the Dionysian to the Apollonian is that there can be something which is far more motivating and immensely shared among everybody with the biological substrate of human beings. We share with each other just by being in the same place, or by sharing the same atmosphere, or by sharing the same you know, water supply. And it's extremely interesting that music might be one of these. Yeah. Things. There's this gigantic biological substrate.
5: All right, that's all you get. Check out partiallyexaminedlife.com, become a citizen to get the full recording, or go to our YouTube channel absolutely free and watch the whole thing. Unless you do one of those things, we will not know that you actually like these recordings, that you want us to keep doing these after shows, and maybe we won't do them anymore. We do not have one scheduled for episode 120. Instead, we're encouraging people to actually buy the Ava brand book and start a not-school group about that. 121 and 122 are both about St. Augustine. We'll probably have one after 122 about both of those episodes, but who knows? We think the after-show product is great. We love having the opportunity to talk to the people, have on extra guests like Greg Sadler. We would like to keep doing that kind of thing, but if people aren't listening to them, then it's not worth our time. I want to remind you that as a PEL citizen, you can have recordings like the full after-show beamed straight to your electronic device. Their new citizen feed. Go see partiallyexaminedlife.com for details. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. And good night.